do believe that you have got something to, to show everybody this evening. Yes, I do. It happens to be this bad boy, an original uh, pre-cert of Tenebrae, uh, which is absolutely lovely. I picked this up for about £10, uh, so dirt cheap. I was a bit put off at first because of this 18 certificate on the spine, but that was actually printed on there before the whole video nasties uh, thing kicked off. So this is an original pre-cert. However, if I remember correctly, uh, oh, yeah, the... Unfortunately, it is aging badly. VHS do. So I've got to give this one a little bit of a clean with uh, some isopropyl alcohol. But it's just a lovely little pre-cert. And it's one of the easier ones to pick up. Like I said, you can pick it up for about 10 quid from eBay. Every now and then, you're going to find someone who tries to try and get like 20, 25 quid for it. But most of the time, you can pick it up for about a tenner. And it's beautiful. Yeah. If I remember correctly, the orid one of the alternate titles for Tenebrae was unsane and since the release of the movie there have been two bands who uh one of them called themselves unsane there was another band that did a song called unsane apparently both of them were inspired by tenebrae and i believe there is also a metal band called tenebrae tenebrae yeah mm. and tenebrae uh, means darkness yeah 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 which is a uh, Odd, oh, because this is say. this is probably his brightest movie, I think. Yeah, or at yeah. that time, anyway. Yeah. So let's yeah. let's 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 talk about it. So we're talking about Tenebrae, uh, which is directed by Dario Argento, who is uh, Italy's. They called you. They called him like Italy's answer to Hitchcock, or you know that kind yeah. of thing, Brian De Palma. But he's very much his own thing. Uh, his yeah, own, his own director. And He's often considered to be like the grandfather of, of the Giallo movie as well, even though some kind of, you know, they argue about that. Was it Argento or was it Mario Bava? That was Mario Bava, but we're not arguing yeah. about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, but you still get yeah. the odd person who does argue. <laughs> that, that, could, that could be another show, but I, yeah, I'm glad you agree with me. There's no argument that it was Mario Bava. Uh, yeah, and again, you could argue that he wasn't, but he was a, he was a person that created the style of the Giallo. You know, well, he, he to me, Mario, the style. Yeah, Mario Bava, he was the creator of, of Giallo. Then Dario Argento came along and mastered the Giallo. It oh, took him definitely. a bit of time, but he fucking mastered it. He, he did. He, can, he, he just he took it all the way. Yeah. Um, hello, hello, Kim. Thanks hello, for joining Kim. us, Kim. Like that. And so this movie is a Giallo. Mm -hmm. uh, Giallos to, to explain them to people are uh, they are if you can imagine a whodunit, a kind of like a, a typical Agatha Christie whodunit with uh, very much gothic murders within mm. it that are stylistically created to both uh, repulse and excite the viewer. Uh, I think that that would be my description of what a, a Giallo is, uh, basically what a Giallo is. Okay, so, I, I, I would describe it as a horror version of Columbo. A horror version of Columbo. That's 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 similar. I think. Yeah, I think we're both. <laughs> that, we'll leave that for another show where we argue whether it's is it Christy, is it Columbo? <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> it's probably more Christy than it is Columbo, but it most people know Columbo, don't they? <laughs> it probably is. 
majority of giallos that people watch uh, over and over again uh, are defined not so much by the the who done it aspect, but by the atmosphere and by the murders. I would say. Yeah. 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 This is a, a, a latter day giallo by Dario Argento, who was returning mm. to the genre, and mm. it was a, a, a legit was it a legitimate. Video nasty. Where was it? Where was it situated yes. in the hierarchy? It was actually prosecuted, wasn't it? As far as I know, it or was seized. on the DPP thirty nine. It was seized, and whether it was successfully prosecuted or not, I really couldn't tell you. But it was on that main list of thirty nine uh, titles, and uh, like like we've said before, with a lot of titles, that was based on the cover art. So Driller Killer was prosecuted mainly because of its cover art. Tenebrae had problems with both its cover art and the contents of the movie. Yeah. So it was one of those rare exceptions where they were like, okay, we don't like the cover art because uh, as we can show you on this, on this preset, this is the original cover art. And you can see that there's, there's the blood dripping from this lady's neck. So when it eventually did get released in a cut version later on on VHS, they, they changed the blood for a ribbon, a red ribbon, because they found that to be non-offensive and yeah. non-obscene. That was their main issue with the cover. But with the movie, it was it was simply the amount of kills that were in the movie. Because I, if I remember correctly, Tenebrae has the most kills in any Dario Argento movie. Yeah, and they're, and they're all fantastic. People, Circus says here in the chat, Classic killers with black leather gloves and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. Uh, it. All starts here. The idea you see the glove, you see the the killer's mm -hmm. glove, which oftentimes can hide it can hide the hand of a woman or a man. Yeah. Uh, so so the killer is is often concealed. Even occasionally wears a mask. Always tends to have a hat. That kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Uh, the thing about that poster to come back to that is by adding the the actual band around the neck, they kind of fetishize the body and it makes it slightly yeah. creepier <laughs> so it, yeah you know yeah, so what, what they did so. was yeah they made it i thought they made it i kind of quite like it with a ribbon on it, it kind of you yeah. think this is a really forbidden weird horror movie um, <laughs> yes it, it certainly gives it a more it makes it feel like it's going to be a more sexualized movie it does the, and it's not that at all it really Dario Argento had a, a couple of films that were on the band list in various different tiers. Um, yes. Inferno did. was on one, but it wasn't in the top tier one, I don't think. Uh, have you got that a copy be... there of Inferno? Yes. This is Inferno, uh, which was also on, on the Video Nasties list, and you don't get to Tenebrae without Inferno. Inferno plays a very important part in Tenebrae's existence. Tell us a but... story. Tell us how Inferno leads to Tenebrae. Okay, well, in order to tell that, we have to go back to 1977 because Suspiria was released in 1977 and it did gangbusters. People absolutely adored it. And of course, Suspiria was the first entry into a trilogy that Dario Argento was making called the Three Mothers Trilogy. He did so well with Suspiria that 20th Century Fox got in touch with him and was like, we want part in your next movie. And he wanted the next movie to be the second part in the Three Mothers trilogy, which, of course, was Inferno. So his plan was to write Inferno, make Inferno, release Inferno, and then get to work on the third part of the Three Mothers trilogy. However, whilst he was writing Inferno, 
he became quite ill. He had some serious health issues. He thought that he could get over them by the time filming started, but he didn't. So he took those health issues with him onto set whilst making Inferno. But he thought, it's okay. We've got 20th Century Fox behind this. They can help really push the marketing and everything. People will love this as much as Suspiria. And then all of a sudden, Inferno flopped. And 20th Century Fox were like, ah, we've made a bit of a mistake with this one. And Dario Argento was clearly quite heartbroken about this. So he decided to put the third entry of his Three Mothers trilogy on hold. And during that time, he was thinking about what he should make next. And he ended up having this, this uh, crazy fan find his phone number and get in touch with him and this fan started off quite nice going oh my god you're Dario Argento you made my favorite move ever Suspiria I love it but after a while this fan was calling him all the time and it started getting worse and worse to the point where the fan was like I want to hurt you that's how I want to show my appreciation because your movie Suspiria was so damn good that it's ruined my life so I want to show my appreciation by ruining your life. So he got in touch with some people and was like, okay, I need to move to like a different part of the country because he was still in the US at this point, hoping that he could, uh, you know, re regain some trust from 20th Century Fox. So he moved pretty much to the other side of America. And during that time, at first he was like, okay, I'm safe here now. But that same fan found his new phone number where he was living and started getting in touch with him. So he ended up going all the way back to Italy. And when he got there, he started, uh, I think it was, he had like a, a stop off, a layover on the way there. So he had to spend some time in another country or another part of the US. And he was in a hotel desperate to get back to Italy. And during that time, there was a Japanese uh, vacationer who was staying at the same hotel who was shot dead in the lobby whilst he was there. These two things really freaked him out. And he thought it was kind of like part of a curse to do with Inferno and everything. That's why the Three Mothers trilogy was left for so damn long before he finished it. And of course, he also, throughout his whole career, he had accusations of him being a misogynist, a sexist, a pervert, and so much more. So he wrapped all of that stuff up to make Tenebrae. All of that stuff came together and it inspired him to make Tenebrae and be like, well, I want to do something about these crazy fans. I want to do something about when you put a piece of work out there that you're proud of. It's kind of a curse and a blessing at the same time. And that's how the idea for the story came to be. It ties in very well yeah. with the movie when you watch it, when you know that too, because you, yeah. this is one of those films where now I, I don't always like to look at the art and connect it to the artist i don't think that's yeah. always the case that there is a connection there that it is deeper and the evidence autobiographical but there's there's an obvious connection with the character uh, the author in the movie and with dario argento if you know that story going into it it's, yeah. it's obviously there uh, and this is very much a a movie that I would recommend people watch, um, yes. not because it was a video on Nasty's list. It's actually, it, there's no way it should ever have been on any kind of list to do with anything because no. it's no. a quality, classy, well-made. It it's got a soundtrack by three members of Goblin, so they couldn't call yeah. themselves Goblin because it wasn't the full collection of members. Uh, mm. Again, it's a terrific soundtrack. Goblin oh, yes. and Dario Argento just made the best kind of like 
pictures and sounds together uh, back mm. in the, the early 70s. And this is, this is like 1981, 82, this was made, wasn't it? So uh, even in, uh, 82, so even into, into the 80s. Highly influential on uh, what Hollywood did later on, uh, or, or tried to later on. Um, and even today it stands up. If you think about Leone and Morricone working together on the Spaghetti Westerns, mm. it's a similar thing, it's that kind of synergy between the music and, and between the visuals. Yeah. Um, strangely, in later films, he went more towards using like heavy metal tracks and stuff for that as well, uh, yeah. which, which, which is okay, but it, worked, it just worked better when he had these guys just totally in control. I don't think we should really go into the plot that much uh, because <laughs> it's worth watching. Um, yes, it is worth watching, and it's not a traditional narrative. It's not the typical sort of narrative or plot structure that you would see in mainstream cinema. It, it it does its own thing entirely, but it still works so well. The plot just has such smooth pacing to it. Mm. It also it pays a homage to detective fiction, I think, in a big way. Big time. Um, more so than his, his previous movies. Maybe his first few uh, giallos that he made, but... It has this, this whole kind of conceit that no matter how well planned everything is, a coincidence will eventually get in the way. Things just happen and you can't really stop them happening. There's there's a sequence where one of the female characters has been chased by a dog. You know, scary big hound chasing her. She escapes from yeah. it and she she manages to get to this house and there's a key in the door and she manages to get inside this house and just thinks she's safe. It's already been set up that it's the killer's house. And he's just accidentally left his keys in the door. Going, so it's one of these things where it's like it's a, it's a stupid coincidence, but set up in this kind of movie, it suddenly everything changes at that point in the movie because you know she's in deep trouble. He realizes, you see, he he realizes he's out there looking for a victim. You know, because you see the close-ups of the gloved hand. Realizes he's left the keys, goes back for them, and it's, 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 what he does is he sets up an entire scene that's based around a coincidence and a mistake. Yeah. At the same time, and it's just it's just brilliantly done. It's just the whole thing's orchestrated visually, and it's, it's it sets you off thinking about various things to do with uh, how does coincidence work in these kind of plots? Because these plots are intrinsically ridiculous, and you have yeah. to buy into the fact that they're ridiculous in order to kind of enjoy the movie. It, it's uh, one of those things that if they did that in a mainstream movie or like a mainstream horror movie where a character accidentally leaves their keys in the door the the audience would roll their eyes and be like oh god this is lazy but because it's argento and it's not your mainstream cinema it works he has a very artistic flair with with his movies so it just kind of works that there's something where he where he manages to 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 kind of give you this obviously fictional world but there's a lot of it that's grounded in reality so you can buy little coincidences like a killer leaving his keys in the door walking off and then going oh no i've done it again haven't i mm. it's like yeah i think pete polk circus mentions here's like a carpenter a window in time where they made fantastic films that are of their time but timeless and yes. i think uh, that scene that I was talking about there specific because the, the poor lass is done. She's going to get, she's in the killer's house. <laughs> uh, the killer's, uh, and, and it's a very kind of modern, modernistic. Uh, everything in this is chic. It's like Vogue chic for 1982. 
it's brightly lit and it's it's kind of classy yeah. and the women are made up to the point of being like almost like vogue cover girls whenever you see them yeah they're all really attractive characters not just physically attractive but you actually quite you like the characters in this yeah. so when they when it comes to the the scene where you know somebody's going to die you kind of don't want to see them die and again that goes against the grain for most jallos because you're you're wanting to see the killing because it's a set piece and it's, it's, yeah. it's like a, an action scene in a bond movie they've set it up yeah. and here comes the killing in this film you actually you feel i kind of hope they get away here that at least yeah. i did every time i watch it yeah. i feel that way no i'm with you on that one and i think that's part of the reason why this is both considered the last giallo movie to ever be made but the first neo giallo movie to mm. ever be made yeah yeah and I, I, I just to get back to what um people circus i think was alluding to there and what i was kind of long-windedly trying to allude to <laughs> is this idea that somebody like carpenter and argento mm. and hitchcock use a subjective camera yeah. and it's it's very much it's 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 an artifice it's not a human eye mm. but what argento does in this film is he grounds everything in an objective reality so what he does is he grounds them in a, in a, in a real world you can believe but then he films it through a subjective camera that gives it an almost otherworldly feel so mm. yes it's 1982 but as peeps was kind of alluding to there it's also timeless yeah I, yeah I really like that yeah absolutely yeah. Got, i've got a, i've got a wee clip here that i'm going to run uh, no sound because if, if i have the the goblin or the not quite goblin <laughs> uh, only three members of goblin soundtrack then <laughs> uh it will probably you know the, the youtube devils will come and get us so mm -hmm. i'm going to i'm going to run this and what it is is it sets up what i trying to get to with the idea of setting up this objective kind of real world that you is perfectly tangible but you can believe that terrible things happen and they can happen oh, yeah. in a room right next to you and you don't even realize it's, it's going to happen it's the kind of camera movement that you see from more like modern filmmakers like i'm trying to think of a good example i'd probably say like wes anderson is probably one of them they they kind of like mimic what argento does here but i to me i i think this is very unique to argento himself this is something that's often imitated but it's it's not the same yeah. you know like like argento really wants you to feel uneasy with with the camera movements he's very creative with his camera movements especially this i mean before before Tenebrae was released, can you think of one movie where they had such a long sequence that was all filmed in one take and the camera is constantly moving and weaving in and out of different set pieces? Yeah, not uh, going from exterior to interior, then back mm. out again, uh, and quite the way it does here. And uh, again, you can you need the sounds help it as well, but uh, what it does is, is it cements this place and it cements the characters in the place uh, and then it also it, it does what hitchcock always talked about it takes you to the point of boredom yeah. uh, so you take you take the audience to the point of boredom and you know where to get them to just to get to that point and then you and then you hit them with what it is that you're going to show them yeah. and it, hitchcock was perfectly sort of like good at doing that uh, mm. just to stretch everything out just to that point well, back what Hitchcock meant by that is uh, you have to create an area where you're in a shot 
and you can surprise the audience. Yeah. Uh, and that's what Argento does all the way through this movie. Uh, it's kind like, of that false sense of security being given to the audience, isn't it? Don't worry. Like everything's boring now. So nothing's going to happen. And then when you least expect it, that's when the killer comes in and yeah. all of a sudden the, the audience is about to fall asleep and then boom, they wake up because they're too busy. Like, I think it's kind of like the surrealist quality of these camera movements. It makes you feel as a viewer, like you're in the middle of a weird dream that's going nowhere. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're awake, you're back to reality. Well, I think, yeah, surrealism, that, this is the closest I think any Giallo has ever gotten to a kind of Dada-esque surrealist kind of approach. It's got, as Pete says, quite right, a perverse voyeuristic aspect to the shots. Yeah. Uh, and there's the glove, there's the hand, and there's the razor. And then suddenly mm. it becomes all very objective, very stylized, not at all realistic. Yes. He's grounded it in this real setting. He's grounded it in this real world. And it allows him to then, you know, do his thing. Yeah. If I remember correctly, Dario Argento did a TV movie called Do You Like Hitchcock? He did. Yes. So I, I think Hitchcock was a clear influence on him. Because bear in mind, technically, his first movie was The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, even though he did make a couple of movies before that. But the real one where he solidified his style and became and started to go down the path of becoming a master of Giallo was The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. That was 1969. Yep. Hitchcock had already done a ton of movies by then. And I'm pretty sure that Argento probably watched all of them several times. Over. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think so, definitely. Again, Peeps makes this point here, which is a good one. With a gentle, you just get the vibe or not. If you're on board, it grabs you for a second, you're hooked. Mm -hmm. uh, and you get out of it what you put in. Um, yeah, I think yeah. Suspiria is the movie that you can show people. And if they don't get hooked in the first 10 minutes, they are not yeah. going to get hooked. If yeah, they absolutely. don't get in with the vibe in the first 10 minutes, they will not yep. in any way enjoy the end of that movie or the middle of that movie or anything happening. <laughs> uh, I love it. It's a movie I can watch every year, once every year, and it's different every time I watch it. But yeah, you've definitely heard something there. It's, it's very much, you You must buy into his vibe as an artist or you're, you're not going to enjoy the movies. And he is very much an artist. This is... A fantastic movie. This is probably, if you were to pick his top three Argento movies, this would be in my top three Argento movies. Um, oh, easily. Depending on how I feel, it would definitely it could be the number two spot. Uh, Suspiria is always going to be number one. Uh, that's just <laughs> that's just the way it works, guys. Uh, so for so for that alone, it's it's a terrific movie. It's it's interesting as a video nasty because it should it should never be lumped in with some of the movies that were in the majority of the, the majority of the movies were trash. Should never have been banned, yeah. but this was not in any way yeah. trash. So, Absolutely. Um, is there anything that we want to kind of talk about about this movie that we may have I missed? Think yeah, there, there is. I mean, there's the woman in the dream sequence. But that again, that's another aspect of it that could very well be a reason why it was one of the ones that they would ban. And and the woman in the dream, the dream sequence, it's very stylized and um grueling sequence to watch uh but, but the actress was uh, a trans woman yeah yeah as far as i don't know if she was the first trans actress out there or not but yeah. one of the the earliest trans actresses yeah so there. in that part which was no accident i don't think because he, he's he's no. actively making 
reference to all the criticism that it had before, as you were mentioning. So there's no accident yeah. that he did that for that particular no. scene. No, it was very deliberate. Uh, the same as when uh, Peter Neal's being interviewed by his friend, and when he first sees her, she's all very nicey, nicey to him. And then the interview begins, and she starts saying things like, "You're a misogynist. This is this is violence against women." And he's Peter Neal's very kind of like, "Hold on, we're friends. Where the hell does this come from? Where are your what are the basis for your accusations?" And then, of course, we later on see the kind of relationship that reporter is in. So there's there's a lot of Argento not necessarily attacking the criticisms that he's been receiving, but kind of putting out his confusion. He's using yeah. Peter Neal as his like voice to say, like, I don't get it. What what are you guys on to believe? Have you actually looked at the details of my movies? Okay, on that, uh, that's us another video nasty. Uh, so uh, we will be back with another uh, video nasty, and that video nasty is Mr. Storm. The New York Ripper. Indeed, one of the nastiest of all the nasties. And we're returning to Mr. Uh, Zombie Flesh Eaters himself, which you'll feel for that one. Oh, so, yes. coming soon to this channel.